Today on the Krista Fanning Show, my beloved friends, everyone's favorite topic, death. All right, this is really on my mind lately. Uh, we lost my wife's mom recently, and I had one of the heaviest moments in my life. I knew, and it was a real graceful moment, I knew I was going in to say goodbye to her. And usually when it's your last time seeing somebody, you don't know that it's your last time. I knew this was my last time that I was gonna see her. And I was really struck with an anxiety, just kind of started overwhelming me. And I didn't know what to expect going into that room. Uh, Sylvia had had a lot of, I mean, she was a strong-willed woman, and she had a lot of pain in her life. She had been divorced, uh, raised her kids largely by herself, uh, was trying to find her place in the world. She had some tension with me, just navigating her relationship with me and with, with Natalie. And, you know, as she neared her death and, and for the last years of her life, we had a great relationship. But you never know what's going to be kicked up and what's going to come out in those last moments. And as I was walking in there, it was one of those moments in my life where I just felt the Lord say, watch what I do. I don't always hear him talk to my heart, but I just, I just heard that in the depths of my soul. Chris, just take a deep breath, relax. Watch what I do. Like, okay. The most peaceful woman was waiting there for me as I got in that room. She had nothing to say to me. That was from old Hertz. She, she just, when I came in the room, she was kind of half conscious. She just said, Christopher, I love Christopher. Uh, her ex-husband called and all she had to say to him was, thank you. Thanks for being present to the kids. Thanks for that yearly Mother's Day card that you sent to me. And she died with so much grace she said, how beautiful death is. She said this before she died. She said, all the gloom, all, all the sadness will, will, will disappear and we'll be happy and the happiness will be complete. Watch what I do. What does he do? He turns a frail, old, dying woman into a victor over all the powers of sin and hell and death. I gotta tell you, no motivational speaker can do that. <laughs> no amount of money can do that. No amount of pleasure, no amount of success in life. Nothing else can do that. Jesus' victory is so complete that it reaches right into the tomb and transforms every experience in our lives, including death, without taking those experiences away from us. It transforms all of them into a point of victory and beauty and love. That's what he does. And so I asked the guy, who is a friend and hero of mine, who was present with us at her deathbed, at her funeral, and who really drove home that theme of victory for us, which I've taken with, with me since her, uh, her death. Uh, I asked him to be with us today. Father Michael O'Loughlin. Chris, thank you so much, brother. Thanks for, I just want to hug you. Yeah. <laughs> just thinking about those last moments. It was amazing. You brought the Lord to those moments. You, you called me and you said, are there any priests in this region where she was dying, and I, my, my heart left, and I said, how long is it to drive out there? <laughs> I'm a priest, I can do this. <laughs> I know I some, go. I know a guy. <laughs> and so I, I did make one call, just out of authenticity, to yeah. say, let me try, see if there's someone nearby, and then I just measured the miles and said, I can cancel one appointment, do this, and what an honor to be, the, the ancient fathers of the church and the monks but, say, By the way, sorry, he drove six hours to be with us. He's like, hey, how, 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 you know, I'll be there in six hours, I can't find a guy, I'm coming. The, 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 the benefit and the dignity and the, the honor of being at someone's bedside when they die or when they're, when they're near death and to understand that when this person goes to Christ and God willing begins praying for us, we're some of the last faces they saw and we'll kind of still be there and like, 
the, the, the nuns and those who caretake for the dying have incredible, and especially those who go and, and benefit them with our prayers, mm. especially my ability to say the mass right at her bedside, you know, was, was absolutely incredible, absolutely incredible. With you guys there and her there and give her the Eucharist the last time she received, yeah. yeah. No, it was, and it was the last good hour of her life. I mean, after that, she kind of descended into, and there was a lot of unpleasant moments of just like, just writhing pain, you know. It didn't last that long, thank God. But I, I think of Jesus on the cross, the, the parts they didn't, didn't really write about, there was a lot of hours of just like, you know, but the Lord is, is, was present in that too. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's hard sometimes to find a priest to answer sick call. But for, mm -hmm. So for you to just drop everything and drive six hours and spend the whole day on the sick call. But now I know it's for selfish reasons. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. <yeah. laughs> pray for me, Sylvia, pray for me. Yeah, yeah. I sure remember like I grabbed her right before I left the room. I Sorry for the last time. I was like, please pray for my parish in Los Angeles. Please pray for me. Please pray for my people. Like I just want to like these things repeating in her head when she went to our Lord, like just keep this in mind. Yeah, no, I remember you, you saying, and, um, and here, here's one of the beauties of what you brought to that moment. There's not a, a fear of death that makes you dance around the issue. Yeah. Um, you know, don't don't talk about it. She's about to face death. It's upsetting enough. No, no, you got real close to her. Like you're gonna see the Lord soon. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Like, please, when you look at him, yeah. remember yeah. my face. Yeah. Pray for me. Amen. Yeah, um, and I, I also remember that. Tell, I, I just want to bring some of the images that you brought uh, and, and the and the sacramental graces you brought to that moment. Uh, because I, I, I want to share those things with everybody because they touch me so much. And by the way, you're gonna face death. Everybody dies. It's not if, it's when. And you're going to face the death of your loved ones. You know, no one gets out alive. <laughs> Bummer, right? But, but it's not just those last moments of death. We, I, it's, it's helpful to recall these, the victory over death to make life bearable. Otherwise, you live with this looming fear or the need to constantly distract yourself. Uh, but I just, I just want to talk about some of those, those things that you brought into that moment that just, poof, victory. Uh, so I just want to run through a couple of them, and I'll probably forget some. And you, you almost you to bring some up too. But the apostolic pardon, okay. Tell us about that, and what, what and what it's like to deliver that kind yeah. of spiritual power. It's it's similar in the life of a priest is when we do an exorcism at baptism, and I'm a Byzantine Catholic priest, so our exorcisms when when I'm when I'm have my hand on the head of a baby that's about to be baptized, and I'm talking to Satan. And I'm literally talking to Satan saying, you keep away from this creature, never return to them, never show your face again. I breathe on them because of the breath, the Ruah of the Holy Spirit, the new creation this baby's about to go through. And I'm talking to Satan and I have, and I'm like, I don't, I'm very careful about talking to Satan. I think we need to be careful about talking to Satan. Oh, yeah. But when I'm reading out of a book, that this is what the priest says. Like it's no longer me talking to Satan, it's Jesus talking to Satan. And, and if I can stand and say Jesus's words, I, I'm, I'm re I know I'm doing the right thing. I'm not making these up. I'm reading out of a book that, that the church has given me. And I, I'm, I'm saying like, I know that the power of Jesus is in my words. I know the power of Jesus is in my hand. I know that, that baby is really receiving everything they want to receive. So it's simple with an apostolic pardon because you began by saying, um, by the power given by Jesus Christ to St. Peter and to all the apostles that through ordination come down to us. And in other words, we're standing humbly before this. <laughs> we, we, we can't understand the power of it, but yeah. we're saying, let, we're, let me remind myself through these words of how much power, this power is 2000 years old. When Christ himself gave to the apostles through apostolic succession has come down to us, Jesus said I could do this. He said I could do this. So I am through the power of Peter himself and all the apostles that come all the way from Jesus Christ, 
I am going to grant you the forgiveness when Jesus said it was bound on earth, is bound in heaven, what is loose on earth, is loose in heaven. I'm gonna tap into that truth right now and I'm gonna give it to this one soul. Like the consequences of the word of God for 2000 years is now all being poured out into this one soul that, that is near death. And it's, there's nothing oh, else we awesome. can do. Nothing else we can do. I, I know when I've done it, that I've done everything that is humanly possible to prepare a soul to see our Lord, just objectively. And the apostolic pardon, what, what are those, do you remember the words off the top of your head? I don't, there, there's, there's a couple different versions I always read out of the books, I don't wanna mess it up. Yeah. <laughs> right. there, there, there are some words, and you pretty much the priest um, taps into the, the apostolic succession, says, kind of reminds himself, reminds the devil, reminds everybody gathered and reminds the soul. This person's free of sin. Why you're here, exactly. And then you say, you say by the, the church has the power to forgive you of sin. And so that's what we're doing right now. Um, and you give it to people who are in some way incapable of the normal means of having that happen. So the normal means are our confession, Eucharist, anointing of the sick, you know, you do these are the ordinary means. Apostolic pardon is, is more of an extraordinary thing if the person isn't able to fully comprehend or you're not sure if they can give a completely sincere confession at that moment because of where they are in the dying process. So, so Jesus just acts. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and it's not dependent on us doing the right thing. Correct. It's, we, it's him saving us. We have them do a confession in their head if they can hear us, because mm -hmm. we know from medical science that sometimes they can still hear us. So the priest will sit there and say, please say a confession in your head. That's why I always ask the family to leave, even if I'm only doing apostolic pardon, because you never know the person may just start saying sins. You, know, I, wow. like, you never know if their voice is gonna be loosed, but even if they're unconscious, you can do apostolic pardon, but you just never know. So you say, mm -hmm. like, I don't need to hear your sins if you're incapable right now. You tell them to Jesus, I'm gonna stand here as a priest, give the sacrament, and then as soon as I've given you a few minutes to do that, then I'll, I'll give you the apostolic pardon. I love being a Catholic. I mean, really, <laughs> what, during when you do the apostolic pardon, you're there doing mass at her bedside. It's like, praise God. Yeah. It, it's, it, it brings this tangible reality in, into the, the present moment. Yes. The, the, the rituals don't, aren't, aren't empty rote rituals. Like you're talking about this. Like this is the power of Christ brought into this moment. Christ, who, who doesn't just want to do it all himself directly, but gives us the joy. He wants to share with us the joy of doing what he does. And that's what makes you drive six hours to do it. Yeah. We literally become the voice of Jesus because if Jesus, if we're in our own room, we can pray, but we don't hear anything with the ears he gave us. We don't see anything with the eyes we, he gave us. Mm. We, you know, we don't speak to anybody with the voice he gave us. But when, when, when Christ says, I'm going to send my vicar, mm -hmm. my, my yeah. delegate, and I'm going to use, his voice is my voice, and you're hearing my voice come through this priest who you call Father. Um, it, it's incredible, you just, you understand that Jesus is here through the power of the Holy Spirit um, mm -hmm. in, in a way that is undeniable. And my Protestant brothers and sisters, you know I love you to death, but, I mean, there, there's something that, like, they're, they're missing here, right? Like, I think, like St. Paul saying that some, God gave some as teachers, some preachers, some apostles, like, the, wait, what, what was that, what was that category? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a category here of, of carrying on the ministry of Christ. It's not just words, but power and authority given by him to, to just cast out demons in that way and just to say, I, I impart forgiveness in the name of Jesus to you in this moment. Oh, man. It, it's, that, <laughs> we have to oh, do it with such a fear of God. And this is why I don't understand why priests add their own words to the sacraments. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not like, about you. No, no, like you don't need to make this more attractive. It's yeah. heaven, heaven is meeting earth right here. And so, so, and I'm in the place of Jesus Christ and I need to remember that I'm his voice, not my own voice at this time. Why wouldn't we want that more? <laughs> Rhetorical question yeah. for you and I. <laughs>
<laughs> right? Uh, you showed Sylvia an icon, and you got choked up showing her this icon. It was oh. a Jesus trampling. Uh, oh yes. Like, tell us about the icon, and we'll we'll show a picture of it. Either. Yes. So, By the way, if you're listening on on podcast, try watching this on YouTube sometime because it's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah go ahead. Amen. In the in the Eastern Christian churches. Um, iconography is a is a physical portrayal of something that had to happen. So, in other words, we, these are not um, idols. They're not graven images because that they, they are a window. We call them windows in heaven. And so, when we interact with the icon, it's just it's wooden paint, but it's also a window. So we're interacting with the person on the side of it. So, it, within our iconography, you you don't ever paint an icon or write an icon of something that no one has ever seen. Mm-hmm. So it is very untraditional. You'll see them to have an icon of Jesus while he's resurrecting mm-hmm. because nobody was there. Jesus was there. Nobody saw it. But So our icon of the resurrection is the descent into Hades where Jesus is trampling the tombs of Adam and Eve in the shape of a cross. The tombs have come off, and he's pulling Adam or Adam and Eve both out of their tombs. And, and it's like, especially with, with Sylvia, you know, you're sitting there and you're, you're, you're saying, she's about to go through that exact transition, but much quicker than Adam and Eve. But... She'll go into the tomb, and then Christ will will pull her out. You know, the icon of the dormition of the mother of God, the falling asleep of the mother of God. He's holding her soul. So we've seen all these images of Je- of her holding Jesus, yeah. and now Jesus is holding her. So it, it's the icon of, and I, I'm looking at Adam and Eve in that moment and saying, like, you're going to be there, Sylvia. Like, you're soon to be pulled out of your tomb. Death is going to be trampled by the power of the cross, the, the, the way that they're crossed over each other. And this just gives us so much hope, even before oh, the yeah. person dies. Oh, yeah, it's man. Incredible. Oh, praise you, Lord Jesus. What that gives me chills, just, yeah, just going back to that moment. I love this scripture. I looked this up today. Uh, in, in, in the Lord's time, there was uh, this, this practice that if there was a battle and you conquered the enemy, you take the, the king of, of the enemy mm. and parade him through the streets and humiliate him publicly. Yes. And that meant something to the people because even the peasants could come out and like this guy, like th- think of this, the neighboring nation that everyone was terrified. This guy's mm-hmm. going to sweep through and kill me and kill my kids. And I get to go right up to him and throw a tomato at him. Yeah. Right? And this is from Colossians 2.15. Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. Like he parades death through our midst, so we can literally mock it. And I love Paul doing this. It, where O oh, death is your victory? Where O oh, death is your sting? Like I want to get in death's face and say I win. Yeah. You know? In that icon, the tops of the tombs make a cross, and right underneath it is Hades tied up, bound for that reason. So the king of the underworld is now bound, trampled by the cross, and Jesus is pulling Adam and Eve out of their tomb. So it's all right there, even in the icon. It's yeah. beautiful. Remembering this makes you live differently. Yes. We need to remember it. I mean, really, there's, there's a, a, a terror of death that's very natural that just creeps in. Now, people who have had near-death experiences, I was talking about, about this with Father Spitzer, by the way. If you haven't seen the show with Father Spitzer, Google Christophanic Father Spitzer, near-death experiences. Um, he was talking about how people who have near-death experiences, who, who it was a positive experience, and who, who come back and remember things that had happened. And that doesn't happen to everybody who dies, but a large number of them. And it, the amount of evidence growing about that around that is indisputable. But he said the people who have that, even the natural fear of death leaves. Hmm. To, to where, like, like deep in their brain, if, if a truck is coming at them, they'll move out of the way, but they won't feel like <gasps> this, the fear that most of us feel on, on just a gut level. You've been around a lot of death. Do you feel the fear of it leave you more and more? Because for me, like the experience with Sylvia demystified it more. Mm. And you know, I'm, I'm turning the corner here, man. I'm 47. 
you know, you get more beyond the halfway mark, right? You start seeing, it's not just an idea anymore, right? But people like that going before me, it just diminishes it. You know, honestly, Sylvia being there in the room with her was so helpful because I I think I even told you guys before I left, um, if this is what death is, having having liturgy at my bedside, receiving the Eucharist, having absolute pardon, having my daughter and my son-in-law right there, like, this is not bad at all. Like th- th- this is this is what death should be. You know, all the prayers. People, my, when my when my grandmother died, um, she died at the Little Sisters of the Poor House in Denver. Yeah, and, and she li- literally, my dad was sitting in the room with her in her last moments, and at right at the Divine Mercy hour, about three p.m., all the nuns walk in, all of them. And my dad kind of looks, so what's going on? Are you doing the rounds? They say, oh, no, we, we, one, one of us kind of has a, an intuition that someone's going to die today. And, and we figure, so they literally, she died and 15 minutes later with them all singing around her, her bed. My dad, my dad was in awe and she just breathed her last. My, my dad was like, oh my gosh, like it was, it was just amazing. And the same thing with him, he's seen a lot of death. He's worked in hospitals his whole life. So it was like, if this is what death is, I'm not afraid of it at all. Like people around me praying, getting everything I need. We, we, that's why we pray for a happy death. Yeah. You know, let, let me pray. I'm, I want to be martyred. <laughs> but, do but, you want to be? I do. I, I, I say that now. If I'm yeah, in the moment, no, I hear you. God, God give me strength. I, I selfishly have prayed for martyrdom because you, you see like a, a, a slow heart disease or cancer death. I'm like, yeah, yeah I've got a bullet to the back of the head yeah. with uh, in, in, a, in, a great, in a great moment of glory where it's like, Absolutely. go team Jesus and boom. Yeah. Then I get icons in the church, you know. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's that. <laughs> I want the most we'll Christ-like death possible. <laughs> And yet I commend Peter for not wanting the most Christ-like death. He wanted to be crucified upside down yeah. so that it, it wasn't mistaken for what Christ did. And I'm like, that's so beautiful. He's oh, just, it's, yeah. It's profound, man. Um, but there's that, that sense that, that we continue. I think that's the biggest comfort for me, that um, Sylvia hasn't passed mm-hmm. into non-existence, that, that we go on. And I, and I, I, don't, I don't like the, the view that Eastern religions have of death, and I, though I do respect it. And there's something about Buddhists that mirror the asceticism of Christianity, but the motive and the heart is different. The heart of Christian asceticism is, is love, not self-negation. And in love, I become more and more myself. And, and then you kick open the doors of death, and, and, and Buddhists would say, then that's, the, that's the moment you let go of your sense of self entirely, let go of ego. For Christians, that's the moment where we get up in death's face, feel its dirty, smelly breath breathing on us, and we say, I win, you lose. You know, and, and we continue uh, as a priest. And there's, there's experiences priests have yeah. that aren't entirely uncommon, though it's not usually talked about. Mm. Um, not all priests have these experiences, obviously. But I, I know you've experienced people from the other side that some would say, well, it's a ghost experience. But you, you don't say it's a ghost. But uh, people who you've helped escort to the other side. Share some stories. I, I think so. This is one of those one of those mysteries where we we always can't trust. We can't ever trust our own perceptions completely. But what gave me what gives me an assurance of this is that when I was on my uh, retreat just days before I was ordained a priest, the priest giving my retreat, um, God rest his soul, Father Robert Stanion, um, he told me he said, "I, I get I get it's a Father Robert Stanion, yeah." Yeah, I want to retreat with him. Oh, amen. amen. Yeah, when I, was a, dude, when I was a high school like discerning thing, joining the CFRs, he's like, come on and retreat with me. Amen. And yeah. that's kind of what he did with me. I asked him because I knew he did a lot of retreats. Yeah. He had all. He had the time. We went into this house in Santa Fe. We sat there. And anyway, on the drive there, Father Robert says to me, um, I have a feeling that when you're ordained a priest, that you're going you're gonna to have 
the way he put it, very Father Robert, he says, you're gonna have souls come and bug you for prayer and they'll wake you up, they'll annoy you, they'll, 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 they'll take your time. He says, just tell them when they come to, when they approach you, just tell them, I promise you I'll pray for them, then make sure you pray for them. I promise you I'll pray for, um, tell them, I promise you I'll pray for you, but I need sleep or I need to get my work done, so please leave me alone. They're just very Father Robert, very blunt with these souls. Like, I know you need something from me, I'm gonna give it to you and then leave me alone. So. I've been, I have been waiting for years to kind of have this experience that this man who was a real prophet had kind of told me. And, and then I was chatting with a friend and we're talking about kind of moments of, of oddness. I said, oh yeah, I said, I wake up. I sometimes wake up and there's someone standing next to my bed and I kind of rub my eyes and I look again and they're still there. And I look again, I kind of sit up and sometimes they're gone, sometimes they're still there. And they just, I never put the two together. You think, you know, I never yeah. put them together. These may be the souls. So, so then, but then a couple times they've been, they've been recognized by people I'm telling as that, that I think that's my mom. You'll share the story, share and, the story. and the person like that's Well, there, there was one time when I was, I was traveling with a friend and, and he was, we had, we had a room and we had two beds and every time this happens, the, the soul's looking at me. And this time I woke up and I looked and the soul was looking at him and it was this woman looking at him. And so I did the same thing. I rubbed my eyes. I kind of get up. I sit up. I look again, and she didn't disappear. She was just there looking at him. You didn't feel freaked out or afraid when you no, saw that? No, I, I never have. That, that's the other thing yeah. that I wonder if this is something else. I oftentimes will think it's just my brain. But when I look, I wasn't freaked out at all. I just saw this beautiful woman, hair in a ponytail, dressed nicely, look, looking down at him. And I kind of just stood there for a while, and then she just disappeared. And at the time, I thought it was just my brain doing weird things. And I told him, and I described her, and he said, it was like shortly after his mom died. He was like, I think that's my mom. And I was like, well, then you pray for her. Because like, if she's there, like she's keeping an eye on you, obviously. But, but whatever state she is, I, I, I figure I see them if they're in purgatory, if there's some sort yeah, of need yeah. of purgation, obviously in need of our prayer. So that's when I pray for them. But I've seen, I've seen little kids dressed very specific ways, people staring at me. And they usually go away pretty quickly. But I, I've started now saying, I'll pray for you, like before they disappear, just like, and I do, of course, just to reassure them that this gift kind of prophesied by this priest is awesome. why I should be using it more. Yeah, uh, That's a great reminder. When someone's died that you love, pray for them. Yeah. I, I think we, we think the celebration of their life and saying, well, the person's definitely in heaven with the Lord already is, is the most charitable thing to do, but I don't think that's the most charitable thing to do. Uh, it, re remembering that the reality of purgatory, and we could do a whole other show on purgatory, and, it, and it's alluded to in scripture that some get to heaven as through a fire, right? Yeah. That, um, that we're saved, but yet there's things about us that need to be purified in order to enter the, the throne room of God. That's, that's something that on a, on a gut level, people could say, okay, I can get that, right? Can I read uh, you some prayers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when it comes to people who have died, it's especially healing if you think, okay, this person was in a relationship with the Lord, but messed me up in certain ways. And Jesus might be thinking, well, this is, or, or giving us the opportunity to be part of that person's redemption now. And it's healing to say, you know, I, I forgive that person and Lord, please speed that person's time up so that they be with you soon. Uh, and pray for the dead. Yeah, read this, read this prayer. So these are the prayers that we, we Byzantine Catholics sing while the family's saying their last goodbyes. Yeah. And it, it, I'm just gonna say them here. Um, so they hear, um, brethren, consider this departure, such lamentation and weeping. Come, let us bid farewell to the departed, for she is being committed to the grave and covered with the stone. She enters into darkness, takes her place with the dead, and thus is separated from her family and friends. Let us pray, Lord, for her repose. And you continue. 
this is the voice of the deceased. It's, I, I, so I love this. Oh, wow. So you read the voice of the deceased. You're singing the voice of the deceased. All this is being sung while you're saying, brethren and friends, relatives and neighbors, weep for me as you see me here speechless and lifeless. Yesterday I spoke with you, and suddenly there came upon me the awesome hour of death. Come, all you that love me, and bid me farewell, for I shall no longer walk with you or speak with you. I go to the judge who has no favorites. The servant and master stand together in equal honor before him, as do king, soldier, rich, and poor. For everyone shall either be glorified or disgraced according to his deeds. But I beg you and implore you, I've got to read through my tears. You do that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) All to continually pray for me to Christ our God, that I may not be doomed to the place of torture because of my sins. And then there, it goes on. There's about 10 paragraphs. The relationship just, doesn't end. It doesn't. At the moment of death. And you, you hear, we're, we're speaking out of our confusion. They're speaking out of their clarity. But in their clarity, they're asking for prayers. Yeah. And they're begging us before they go anyway. It's, and there's all these prayers that are just so beautiful. This dialogue that you hear as you're saying goodbye to the person. You're, you're hearing their voice. That's Praise the beauty. You're hearing their voice as they're laying there dead through, the, through these ancient and beautiful hymns. Yeah, it's incredible. Crazy Jesus. Yeah. How do you recommend? You don't have a problem with this because frankly you're seeing dead people and uh you're and you're you're officiating funerals all the time you're celebrating funerals all the time most of us live with we we want the veil between us and the other side to be thick because we don't want to think about it but that's an unhealthy way to live because your priorities get all warped you think everything's about this life and about gathering stuff and you end up not being the person you want to be what are some ways that people can live with a greater awareness of death, not in a morbid, depressing way, but frankly, in a, in a freeing way. I think there's ways of, for instance, in our Byzantine tradition, every Saturday we pray for the dead, every single yeah. Saturday. And I think working it into the schedule to pray for the dead, like for instance, when I gather with my brother priests, we always do a panahita for the dead. So we do a prayer service for the dead and we list every, the name of every single priest that has ever been in our diocese, our eparchy. And I, every year I hear That's that and I awesome. go, my name's gonna be on there one day. Like they're gonna say, the servant of God, Michael, remember, oh Lord. Like, and, and they're, they're gonna say my name. You know, it's th- funny when you say that, I'm like, <gasps> but like, yeah, duh. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> That's this is how it should thing be. for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I think if we, if we, in a sense, beautifully ritualize our prayer for the mm. dead, um, we have a tradition in the Byzantine church that at the Easter vigil, the moment the moment that the resurrection is proclaimed, the priest takes bay leaves or some other type of leaf and he flings them into the air wow. around the whole church. And so these symbolize the souls escaping Hades. And you see these just leaves flying into the air, twirling, twirling, twirling. And oh, then man, the kids cool. the kids scoot them up and then you put them in their icon corner to symbolize all of your deceased. So wow. in, in your prayer um, altar at home, you have these leaves that, that were thrown in the air oh, at the resurrection. Beautiful. And those remind you of all the souls of your deceased who we pray are in heaven too. Ooh. So little tangible things to remind us to pray for the dead. And, and then also to ask death, intercession. Yeah. It, it removes that fear, the, the, the evil parts of that fear. I, I love the, uh, the, in the, the, the Capuchin tradition, and you mentioned Father Robert Stanion, mm-hmm. uh, they would keep a skull on their, de- yeah. on their desk to remind yeah. them as they work. About, on your prayer beads. Yeah, and I have it on my yeah. prayer beads too. <laughs> Chalky high five. There you go. Uh, so little skulls on, my, yeah. on the yeah. prayer beads here. And that's not a morbid thing, but that's, mm. that's a great, healthy reminder. You know, uh, So praying for the dead, wearing something like this. Yeah. You know, tattoo of a skull on your neck. No, don't, don't do that. <laughs> But, but all, all these little things and just not being afraid of this. And I love that, that in, the, in, the, in Catholic land, there's so many rituals that say, you know, we go there. 
it's not every prayer service doesn't have to be really happy. <laughs> like yeah. it's okay to get to get dark because there's joy in the darkness. There's that light piercing the tomb. Um, I want to I want to shoot to the funeral real quick. Uh, there was an incredible image that you brought up at Sylvia's funeral uh, where you talked about the, the cloth. Yes. And, and I want you to, to talk about that because that, that ritual, man, it's, it illuminates so much. It was incredible hearing that. So we Byzantine Catholics call this an air, A-E-R, an air. And it's just, it's yeah. just a veil that goes over the gifts. And so, as almost every beautiful tradition we have, it all started very practical. So the bread and wine that are brought up exactly. that become the body and blood of Christ, you put exactly. that over them. We put this over them, but right before with the consecration, basically it used to be just to keep the flies off. But 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 there's the, the, everything that starts practically ends up yeah, having a very yeah. beautiful tradition. So during the creed, um, when when we're saying this this church composed hymn of what we believe, we're proclaiming the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, things that make no rational sense. The priest takes the air and he waves it. So I'll, I'll, I'd be standing at the altar and I'd be waving it like this during the creed. Mm -hmm. And you're waving it in front of us. So the bread and the wine are behind you. You're saying the creed in your head and the priest is waving this. There's various meanings for that. Some say it would symbolize the presence of the angels and their wings, the Holy Spirit is, is present there. But the, the explanation I love most is that, and I've, I mean, I've been a priest 18 years now. How mm -hmm. many times have I said the creed and waved this over the gifts and, and looking at this very beautiful ornate piece mm. of cloth. And so um, I see it as, as St. Paul says, we see the mysteries of God as through a mirror darkly. Mm. So we're saying the creed, do we really understand it? No. Yeah. We're, the church gave it to us to say, the bread and the wine is about to become the body and blood of Christ. Do we understand that? Yeah. No, there's all this mystery. We're leaning into the mystery with awe and wonder. And so this in a sense is a mist. It's a, it's a mist in front of me. It's a mist in front of the people of God as they see these things. So in our Byzantine church, when a priest dies, you lay him out, you anoint, the bishop anoints his head with oil, and then he lays it over the priest's face like this. Hmm. And so when the people come up to say goodbye, they still see the mist hmm. because the person's dead. They, they, they see the confusion and the quite unknown, but the priest is hopefully seeing the other side. He now is hopefully with our Lord and, and sees all, all the times when he was so unclear about so many things during the creed and, and during the, the consecration. Now he sees those things clearly. So it's, it's, it's a moment of promise, a moment of hope for the people, for the priest. We're still confused, but hopefully he is, has much less confusion where, where, once he's gone. Praise to Lord. the Lord. There, there was also a moment at the, at the burial, and I actually mm. want to share this. Uh, Profound moment, and, and I love, by the way, that you, John Paul II talked about how we should breathe at the right and left lungs mm -hmm. of the church, and we'll have a whole other episode about Byzantine Catholicism someday, right? But you got the, you, you brought in Roman right elements like the yeah. apostolic pardon and, and these rituals and, the, and all of it together, but this was a, a specifically Byzantine thing yeah. to do yeah. at a funeral, and I was gonna play this real quick. This tomb is being sealed until the second coming of Christ in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> that was one of the most powerful moments yeah. for me. This tomb is being sealed until by the, the second coming of Christ. Until the second coming of Christ, in yeah. the name of the Father, boom, and of the Son, <laughs> and of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. This is the power Jesus has. Yeah. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't give us a joy that says, turn your back on the pain of life. Mm -hmm. But the unstoppable joy of the gospel says, I'm with you. Even as you walk through death. Yeah. And, and that was a great reminder that the sealed until. Yeah. 
I can almost see Sylvia saying, <laughs> I'm up. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm back. Death. Jesus turned death from a period into a comma. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to need that body again. Like we have our resurrected bodies. Yeah. You know, that's why it's so important to do that because it, it, it provides closure and hope mm. for the people there because they're saying the second coming we look forward to. And then what we've now sealed and wept over and, and closed off, we're going to put in the ground. This will this will become up, and it'll, the top will be trampled like it was at Adam and Eve in that icon, and and this body will be need, needed again. That's why we don't scatter ashes, you know, in the in the Catholic yeah. Church. So this body's going to be needed again. But you really can't understand that that unless you understand Pascha. So Easter on Easter morning, mm. the people process around the church when it's all dark inside. And then, then they come to the front doors of the church that are there closed. And those front doors of the church symbolize the front doors of the tomb, the, the gates of the tomb. And the priest, mm. as he's singing, Christ is risen, takes that same cross and he bangs on it in the shape of a cross and everybody just bursts out singing, Christ is risen. The doors fly open, all the lights are turned on. You walk in, people sing and they're standing up and they don't sit for the entire liturgy on, on Easter. <laughs> they're, they're singing the whole time. And if you've, if you've experienced that with Easter, another priest did the same thing to the top of the tomb of your loved one. Mm -hmm. It's like, we do this every year because Christ is risen. We're gonna bang the top of the tomb and say this body will also be risen at the second coming, but also Christ has now hopefully taken the soul to himself. Mm. Yeah. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you're with us through death, and I'm so grateful to our priests who are with us through death. What a great gift that is. I hope Natalie and I hope my kids are there when I die. More than that, I hope a priest is there when I die. Um, <laughs> Me too. Yeah, and, and listen, as you, as you guys are, and isn't that amazing? Yeah. What, what a great burden and gift that you bring to yeah. the world in that, in that priesthood. Praise God. Um, if you're, you're watching right now, and, and maybe you've recently lost a loved one, um, I want you to enter that, as you're watching on YouTube, just type in the name of that loved one below this video, and we'll pray for that person by name. You'll watch this, and Father, maybe remember those people in liturgy by name. And, and there's a song that you guys sing, Christ is risen, tramp, mm -hmm. uh, risen from the dead, right? Uh, Christ is risen from the dead, by death he trampled death, and those are the two. Actually, would, would you sing that right now Christ. as we remember the loved ones whose names are Absolutely. being entered right now? Christ is risen from the dead, by death he trampled death, and to those in the tombs he granted life. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I love you guys. Thanks for watching. Thanks for crying. Thanks for laughing. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for sharing life with us. Um, join me in the Holy Land someday. One of the most powerful experiences in my life is, is praying in the empty tomb of Jesus. Father Michael's coming as a chaplain this year. I go every year, go to reallifecatholic.com, click on a, what, the events tab and then pilgrimages Israel. I'm going on a footsteps to St. Paul in Greece soon. So just join me on one of these trips someday. Become a missionary joy. The way that we get this stuff out to the world and pay for it is by people who donate monthly. And we also bless you back. And we're gonna ramp up how we bless you back. So stay with us, stay tuned and all that. I just, I'm so grateful for you guys who are, who are funding this work and making it all happen. And listen, if you're, if you're facing uh, imminent death or the death of a loved one, Jesus is with you. He will not abandon you. And the person that you're saying goodbye to does not pass into non-existence. And that's the best news ever. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. Thanks, brother. Of course. Love you, man. Thank you. Love you too. Beautiful. Oh, that's awesome.